morning, everyone. Welcome back to the newest episode on our new season of the Pen Podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special treat. We are joined by two guests, um, authors, spouses, amazing human beings. And I think we're all in for a treat with John David Mann and Anna Gabriel Mann. Welcome to the show, folks. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Two spouses. Is that spice? Ooh, um, I mean, mouses are mice, so maybe. Mouses are vice. Anyway, we'll we'll go on from there. What's your favorite spice? Quickly. Cardamom. Uh, my favorite is uh, among the, the the six is Anna spice. I like. I see what you did there. I hey. see what you did there. <laughs> spice girls. No, no dummy. <laughs> so, I I. Don't think I've ever done. Actually, I've, I've done one three-person interview in my, in my um, podcasting career, so I don't know what is proper or acceptable. So I'm just going to throw this out there, and we'll let you guys fight over who gets the answers first. Um, but for those who don't know, John has written the Go Giver series, or has co-authored the Go Giver series. So you've done a lot of co-writing with other people, correct? I have. I have over thirty books. All but two, written with with uh, co-authors. That's incredible. Um, as someone who writes with other people, I know how how interesting that relationship can get. Uh, so I'm curious, Anna, have you, outside of this book that you and John just wrote together, have you had done any collaborative work? No, I have published solo in psych journals and other places um, on topics related to my work, but. That this is the first book, and the first book that's uh, co-authored with my brilliant husband. So, who kind of worked out what this process was going to look like, John? Did you lead with that from your collaborative experience, or did Anna lead as? Well, yeah, it's a great question um, because it it could have easily gone either way. Because, as you say, I have my collaborative experience with writing books. But this is honest topic. I mean, this is her career. This is her life, um, you know, marriage and relationships and helping people live more fulfilled lives. So the truth is, you know, we made it up as we went along. We kind of we kind of uh, uh, created the process for this book. And it was for me, it was different than any other co-writing process I've done, you know, in in so many ways. But one of them was that my co-author lives in my house. I live in her house. I mean, we're, we're you know, here we are. You live in each other's house. That's right. Yeah. And, so it was, we just invented it. Yeah. And actually, I'll give you a little more detail. You know, we, we came up with the five secrets over a, 10 years of long walks. We go for a four or five mile walk every day. And we would discuss the elements of what was really important. What, what were the things that were deal breakers and how did the psychology of the opposite of each of those play in? So each of the secrets was developed based on developmental theory. And developmental theory is the psychological premise that says that what you needed as an infant and as a child, you still need now as an adult. So each secret has its own component of, of, psychological theory underneath it. Why is this so significant to you? Why does it have so much meaning? And um, so we developed the secrets that way. John is a brilliant parable writer. So even though we knew what the five secrets were going to be, 
he wrote the parable just flat out. You know, I mean, I would edit and say, I love this. I don't like that. You know, what about this? Um, the back of the book, the front of the book is called the, the parable and the back of the book is called the practice. And it, they're literally 50, 50. And so I wrote the back of the book because the back of the book takes apart each secret in terms of the theory and then also shows you examples from clients of mine who were gracious enough to let me change their names and use the material um, and able, you know, so that we could illustrate what they are and how they work and how to practice them. And speaking as, as, as you know, as, as a writer of, as, as you said, as a co-writer of this Go-Giver series, you know, here's what was really interesting for me about this process was Anna had this whole, you know, psychological theory background and, and foundation which underlies what we call the five secrets. The book, by the way, for people who do not know, is called The Goal Giver Marriage, and it is a story about the five secrets to lasting love. So when Anna says the five secrets, that's the five secrets we're talking about. So the interesting thing was that the original Goal Giver, over a decade ago, right, is uh, subtitled, you know, the five, it isn't subtitled, but it's all about the five laws of stratospheric success. And every Goal Giver book is based on five principles. And, um, if you trace them in all, all the books, they kind of overlay one another in a really interesting way. And so part of the, I guess I'll say challenge as a writing team was Anna had this foundation of psychological theory, which is, which is what it is. It's human nature. It's the reality of human, human nature. And we also had these five laws from the Go-Giver, which, which we wanted to ensure harmonized with the, with the new book. So the, the five secrets kind of have two parents. They have this parentage, this ancestry in psychological theory, and they have this ancestry in the other parable. And if you overlay the five laws of stratospheric success on top of the five secrets to lasting love, you see some really interesting correspondences. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's almost like they're the same principle viewed from different parts of a prism. And, you know, you, you think about that, you say, well, you know, what if they don't fit? What if it's a round peg in the square hole? We just both had the faith that if we're on something that's that's true and accurate and real, it's gonna fit. It's just gonna fit. And you see this as a writer all the time, where you know you 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 have these situations. You think, well, is this gonna fit? Is this character gonna fit this situation? Is this plot twist gonna fit with the other? And sometimes you just have to have faith that yeah, it doesn't take jamming. It just takes a little jostling, and then. It fits. It's like every story is like a little miracle of construction that when you as a writer, you're you're amazed that you've stumbled upon these these things that seem to work out. Well, and I think that's a lot of times where most writers go wrong is they don't trust their gut. They don't trust in the process of just, you know, write it. If you yeah. write it, it will come. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot to that. Yeah. Also, parables are really unique. And I, I have watched yeah. John write many parables. I mean, he wrote Spencer Johnson's postmortem out of the maze, which is the sequel to Who Moved My Cheese. He wrote David, you know, with David Bach, he wrote um, The Latte Factor. So, you know, there's many, many parables out there that John has participated in. And each parable is like a little jewel. And I think that for writers, since this workshop is aimed toward, or this podcast is aimed to writers. I really want to say that 
parables are really unique in all the world. They're not like other stories. They, they are a story that has to illuminate a lesson, that has to make clear something that's real. And I think that a lot of people who attempt them don't have an idea of how complex they are because they're like a little mini novel or a novella, but they have to follow a format where the protagonist learns lessons and becomes adept at understanding what the, what the deeper meaning is. And I think, I think John's not only brilliant at it, but I think this is his best parable yet. She is, she is my, my biggest fan. You know, not like Kathy Bates in the movie Misery, really, really the nicest best fan. Um, are you're you my number one fan. Are you strapped down, John? Do <laughs> yeah, right. No, not my feet, not my feet. Um, and that's, that's a tricky thing because, you know, as I was saying, it's a story that has to illustrate a principle or a set of principles. At the same time, and this is where so many parable writers, I think, run into trouble, at least at some point in the process, which is the story can't feel like a lecture, right? It can't feel like a thinly veiled excuse to explain these principles, these five principles. I mean, yeah, I've got you know a guy named Fred and a lady named Wilma, and we're going to make them move around and do things and interact. But really, it's just they're hand puppets, and really, I'm just explaining to you what I think about life. And you know, nobody wants to be lectured to. Nobody wants to feel like they're being told a story. But it's not really a story. It's not a real story. So parable's got to be a real story. You need to actually care about these people. Um, and you know, one of Spencer Johnson's. Spencer Johnson was a children's author before he wrote *The Woman and Manager* with Ken Blanchard, and before he wrote *Who Moved My Cheese* and all of the other books he wrote that were adult parables. And and he had this marvelous skill of writing dirt simple. I mean, so simple, like second grade level because he wrote children's books. And yet uh, uh, somehow managed to not wash out the, the profundity, the power of it, the depth of it. I learned a lot from Spencer. Um, but this book is almost like a reverse engineered parable. You know, speaking about what Anna was saying, you know, the lesson for writers is kind of cool. This is different than anything I've ever participated in before in a parable because it's got, as Anna said, two halves. And that, you know, all the go-giver books have the parable and then some after material. And the after material is usually in the form of a discussion guide and some Q&A with Bob and me and the other books. And so it's a little bit of, of sort of explanation and, and answers common questions. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a lens onto the story. But in this book, the, the back half is as long as the parable. It's like two equal parts and it's the parable but then it's the principles that the parables is explain is telling you, or it's the principles. But there's here here's a story to illustrate it. You can get it from both right and le right and left brains, so to speak. Uh, and it's really, um, you know, I wrote the parable for Anna, and you could say she wrote the 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 practice part for me. It's like a it's like a little uh, love story we're telling each other. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com, produced by Pen for Hire. Sometimes writing a book can be the easy part. Taking those raw word processor documents and turning them into visually appealing pages that are compliant with independent publishing standards can be a daunting task. Don't trust your finished product to just anybody. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview.
whose idea was it to write the book in the first place? <laughs> That's easy. It was hers. <laughs> it was honest. Oh yeah. Well, let's just say that I'm the first reader on every book. And so when it came off the printer back in 2005, three years before it published, I read it and said, this is a brilliant book. This is going to be amazing. This is going to go around the world. People are going to fall in love with this book. And this would be a phenomenal book about marriage and relationships. Back in 2005. Yep. So this project has kind of been percolating for 17 years? Yes. Yeah. 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 A lot of other books were, were scheduled and programmed by the publishers. They wanted a book on sales. They wanted a book on leadership. Um, Bob was very, very much wanting to write what, what, I, what I see as his legacy book on, on, um, on having influence, which is the Go-Giver Influencer. And, you know, you never want to compete. You never want to bring titles out too quickly because you don't want any title to compete with the previous title. And so we were just sitting back, you know, there was no need, no need to rush it. But at a certain point when the pandemic began, we, we looked at each other and said, all hell is breaking loose in homes across America and divorces are going nuts and will go nuts in the next two years based on this. And we need to write it now. Hey, Anna, Anna has a really, really nice explanation. My explanation is that I, I needed 17 years to grow up enough to write the book. <laughs> so in that 17 year period was there ever a point where you guys started writing and stopped or was it always just kind of an in your head thing of like we're going to do this at some point no. no just waited for the time waited for the time i'll say that for for a for a couple of years well more than a couple of years for a lot of years leading up to writing the book it was in the backs of our minds as anna says on, on walks we'd, we'd chat about this and that um but we weren't really working on it. I mean, honestly, we were living our lives as a man. We've been together for 25 years. Um, and for, for 10 of those years, we, we, uh, we were not married. We, we dated for 10 years until we, before we actually got married. So um, we, when the first Go-Giver came out, we, we, we had just almost gotten married. We got married right after the Go-Giver came out, same year, interestingly. Um, both the book and the relationship that changed my life. Uh, and we were just kind of living our lives, watching couples we knew, reflecting on our own lives. Of course, Anna has her whole professional history. Um, and then as Anna says, when the time was right, we're like, you know what? Time for us to write this book. If we don't write it now, then, you know, then when? <laughs> the pandemic was, was such a catalyst. You know, a friend of ours, our agent said that you can't, right now you can't get an appointment with a psychiatrist in New York City unless you want to book one three years out. You know, people are, are so stressed out that uh, counseling and, and all related services are just through the roof. So people need yeah. this. I don't even think that's just New York City. I, I hear about instances all over the yeah, country. Exactly. It is. It exactly. is. Actually, therapists are are not only working on Zoom, which is was unheard of years ago, um, but they're also coaches and therapists are so busy right now that Sometimes you can't get on their calendar and find an appointment spot. And I want to add that this, you know, the book is called The Go-Giver Marriage. We talk about marriage, but it, it's really, it's about the relationship of two human beings who occupy each other's space. 
it's too long to fit in a book cover. <laughs> but that's what it's really about. It's about it's about, you know, we focus on marriage, but the principles in it apply to to other kinds of relationships. They even apply to a great extent to relationships like in the workplace or you know between siblings or with your children or you know with any other human being. So it's it's really a relationship handbook. We just focus it on marriage because that's such a, a core, a core, you know, element of human relationships. And do you feel that Anna's background, this being her material, her her career, was that harder to work with because of that? And then what I mean by that is, so I, I constantly feel like the shoemaker with holes in his shoes because I write for a living. So at home, that tends to be one of the areas that doesn't get focused on because I'm usually doing it for other people. So you guys wrote a book on marriage and that's her career specialty. So do you feel like that helped or hurt at all? <laughs> I, Go ahead, Anna's yeah. <laughs> yeah. not listening. I apologize in advance if I just uh... just between you and me because she's not on right now, right? Um, no, I mean it helped enormously. And in fact, it was really interesting because um, you know the 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 bulk of the parable was done while the back was still in process. So the the, the in in chronology, the back part finished later than the parable finished, and she's she was delivering drafts of her material for the back. She would, you know, she has an office on the other side of the, our little house and I have one here. We'd write, each go to our own corners and write and then see what each other wrote, print it out or email it over or whatever. And I would take drafts of what she was saying and and, and go, I, I would never have thought of, not just thought of saying it that way. I would never have thought of saying that. I just, she was, all this material was coming up that would never have occurred to me. And at first that was like, Wait a second. Where's all this coming from? And I realized it's coming from a really good place because it's stuff that I never could have thought of, and the book needed. It's stuff that's beyond my area of expertise, and it really fills the book out. What you know? What happened was, Matt. We, as I said, the other Gogger, the other Gogger books all have their their back end. We thought because this book is about something so personal as relationships, something so fragile and delicate as marriage the reader really deserves a more complete explanation you know uh it isn't like sales or it isn't like leadership which are, you can talk about a little bit more objectively this is very personal stuff so as we started spinning out that back half and i was writing it i was like wow there isn't any way under the sun that i could have made a complete book without without anna's expertise couldn't have happened it's a totally different book because of because of her co-authorship Love it. And even though we don't use like jargon, like codependency or things like that in the in the back of the book, we're describing the dynamics of what happens when you get into an intimate relationship and you spend a few years there, you know, inevitably all your childhood wounds and nobody escaped childhood without wounds. All your childhood wounds will start to rise up and they will start to interact in the relationship. You, you will, you know, if you had a critical father who you could never do enough for and you could just never please him, you have a choice when you get in an intimate relationship. You can either be your father or you can get in relationship with somebody who behaves like your father. And that's something that people don't consider. They don't consider that when we get into relationships, we're unconsciously the very people you fall in love with are an unconscious match 
to everything that you need to heal yourself. But we don't realize it. So we end up just blissfully entering in, being in total romance and, and completely in love. And then when the honeymoon wears off, suddenly it's like, wait a minute, why are you criticizing me? Because I didn't, <laughs> because I didn't pick up my socks. You know, it's like it's like the, the stupid stuff that will just start to hammer the two of you. And if we don't talk about it and we don't talk about the patterns we get into, because here's the other thing. There's a bulk of research on happiness and happiness. You know, people who are generous and who are giving live longer. Every cell in their body is healthier. They have healthier hearts, fewer heart attacks. They have less depression. They have less anxiety. You know, I mean, they're just better on a lot of levels. They're happier. I mean, living longer by itself is a huge boost. But when we get in relationships, it's so easy to get in that critical mindset of like, hey, I did the dishes three times this week. What have you done? You know, and it's like the, we call it the little scorekeeper, but the little scorekeeper is alive and well in most relationships. People are keeping score. What have you done for me lately? And when you get in that pattern, you're in a neurological loop. And that neurological loop can either be in the negative or it can be in the positive. And so what the five secrets are attempting to do is to give you a practice. And we, call, we say this clearly in the book, love is not a static feeling. Love is a practice. And so we give you the tools to practice so that you can actually turn the negative tape off and turn the positive and the giving and the generosity on. And that's a really powerful thing when you do, even if only one person in the marriage practices it. And that's the power of the book. This is not couples therapy. Both yeah. people do not need to read the book. You can read the book and start practicing this and you will watch your wife or your husband transform before your eyes in about a month. Because when you start practicing acts of generosity, <laughs> They're going to suddenly warm up because it's like, hey, you're not yelling at me for my socks on the floor. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> Although both can read it, I want to say. That's also okay. Yeah. We're just saying it isn't mandatory, you know, because practically speaking, you often have situations in a marriage where one person is feeling like they want to, they want to make a shift, you know, move forward, change something, develop something. And the other is like, okay with the way things are, or maybe in a little bit more denial about where things are, or maybe you know, distracted by their situation at work or in other parts of their life. So it's common that people aren't in the same place at the same time. So you're often gonna have a situation where one person picks out the book and says, hmm, uh, and, and that's okay, and that works. You know, something funny is that, you know, Anna talks about stages of development and about the, uh, you know, the honeymoon and then what happens when the honeymoon wears off. It's a lot like when you're an infant and you got your parents and your aunts and uncles and hopefully your older siblings, maybe, um, all standing over you and cooing and saying, aren't you amazing? Look at this. You're so cute. Good, you, good, you, goo. And you're just amazing. And, and you're just like blissfully bathing in all the adoration and all the discovery of life. And it's, everything is just so cool. That's a lot like when you first fall in love. I mean, everything about this person is just so magnificent. And then when you get to be, I don't know, what is it, one-year-old, two-year-old, uh, there's some age where suddenly, like, this other toddler takes your toy and you'll go, hey, wait a minute, that's my toy. They just took my toy. <laughs> and you, you start to scream and was like, no, you don't have, that's my toy. Six months after the honeymoon, it could be kind of like that. Wait a minute, 
that's my remote. You know, hold on. This is my movie. <laughs> this is my house. What are so, you doing living in my house? <laughs> it sounds to me like the book should be required reading for people even before they get into a relationship. <laughs> that would be ideal. That would, that be, would be really ideal. Honestly, I think this is the best wedding present you could give somebody because I think it's really one of those books that opens your eyes to what's important. I think yeah. that too often we lose track of the little things that matter. And I'll tell you, one of the secrets is all about sort of feeding that place in you that needs to get feedback, that needs to be told that you're amazing, that needs to be appreciated, if you will. Um, and we don't get enough of it. We need it so desperately, but we don't get it. And I think that a lot of times in a couple, you know, you think, of course he knows I think he's amazing. Of course he knows I think he's the best writer that ever happened. But if you don't tell him, he doesn't know. I mean, when I read a manuscript, I will read it very carefully, take lots and lots of notes. I mean, I am one of the most critical readers that John has in a good way, because I'll also be writing, wow, love this sentence. Oh, my God, this is incredible. You know, I, I will be putting a lot of positive praise there, too. But one of the things that I will always do after every book is just sit him down and say, you know, you just stunned me. I mean, you're so good. I mean, I'm a critical reader. I can tear a novel apart in pieces. I mean, John's just written two novels that are two of the best novels that I've seen come out. And Lee Child, you know, literally gave such a positive review of John's first novel. I mean, John's first novel just got nominated for a Barry Award, which is like getting nominated for an Emmy. I mean, it's it's incredible. There's only five books in the category and he's one of them. And this is his first novel. So, you know, it's like, I think that when you're in a marriage, you need to take every opportunity. Or if you're in the workplace, if you're a boss, you need mm -hmm. to take every opportunity you can to tell the people that work for you what they're doing that's great. I mean, the one minute manager was take one minute to tell people what they're doing well, you know, to, to congratulate them on what they're doing right. Catch them doing something right. Yep. Exactly. And it's it's so powerful. If you take one minute a day, three times a day, and tell your spouse or your coworker or the person that you that works for you how amazing they are and what a good job they're doing, you'll see production Specifically. go up. Yeah, you'll see production go up at work. You'll see your spouse not worry about whether or not your socks are on the floor. It's like, is that what you want to focus on? I mean, hello, the laundry basket is five feet away. What would it take for you to just throw them in, <laughs> you know, and not say anything? It's like, he's got a lot of other things, other ways that he or she might be contributing to your marriage or to your family. I do want to say that we're all speaking hypothetically here. And I want to just make a statement <laughs> that my socks are not in fact on the floor. I just want to make it clear. I want everyone to know that. <laughs> Please continue now. Thank you for clearing the air. Um, I think yes. that was a very important PSA. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Social media isn't about simply posting links to your book multiple times on a day on every platform you can think of. It is a complex process that takes time and strategy as well as content and purpose. Creating and managing social media campaigns can feel like a full-time job especially if you don't already love doing it. Don't wait until your book is done to think about how to tell the world about it. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview.
And I just wanted to go back to what we mentioned earlier about people getting this early on. I think as a society, we tend to look for help when it's too late in most things. Most people don't read a book on nutrition until they're already overweight, um, right? They, the problem has to be so far out of hand before anyone takes any action. So to know that you've written something that's easy to digest and helpful that people can read really at any point and be prepared instead of reactionary, I think is incredibly important. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's interesting, the, the parable itself, the, the first part of the book, it's a modern parable about a young couple named Tom and Tess, and they're not at the breaking point. Their marriage is not on the rocks. They're not on the verge of divorce. That's not, and, and that was a conscious decision. And we, you know, we thought long and hard about that in terms of establishing the, the setup for the parable because we wanted to write to people at every point in the spectrum. And a lot of people are in marriages that are okay. They're, but maybe they're not everything they could be. Or maybe they're okay, but they're like, as one character says in the book, it's like a nagging cough that isn't that bad, but you know could develop into something worse that you want to catch early. And so, I mean, Anna's so right, ideal marriage present, wedding present, it's a great thing for people to read before they get married, but also there's so many marriages that are in their early stages, or even they've been married for 20 years, 25 years, and the kids have grown, and the nest is emptifying, and uh, you know, and now may face, they may face a crossroads. This book is for them, because this isn't the point where the marriage runs out of gas and starts just coasting off the road and into the ditch. This is the point where new opportunities open up. This is the point where you get to take the training wheels off, which is what kids are, and, and actually start to take your marriage out on the road and, and really you know, put your, put your pedal on the gas. Sweetheart. And I wanna to add to that, the couples that I really wanna to get to are the ones that have been married four to seven years, because, mm -hmm. and, and you know, three to eight years, whatever. It's, there's something that happens when your marriage is about five years old. I mean, they don't call it the seven year itch for nothing. A lot mm -hmm. of affairs happen. A lot of um, people start watching pornography, intimacy backs off, kids are there. And all of a sudden the opportunities to make love are just not sort of there for the taking. You know, it, 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 everything shifts. And I think that when intimacy backs off and that closeness stops being sort of really happening, I think that people start to feel the loss, but they they also are in the groove of like, you know, somebody's got to make scrambled eggs for the kids and somebody, you know, got to get to the job and, you know, all those things. So you just you just sort of get on coast. And I think that if you take the opportunity to really understand how easy it is to implement these five secrets, you not only can wake up your marriage and supercharge the intimacy and the closeness, but that sets you up. If you're seven years in, you're setting yourself up for what the net, for, for what seven to 20 looks like. Because when the kids leave the nest, the two of you need to be going, woohoo, you know, because <laughs> you know that the best is yet to come, that now you get to just focus on each other and really have a lot of fun. And I mean, it's, it's every stage of marriage is different, but the intimacy and the closeness needs to remain. And you arrive at 20 years as each other's best friend instead of arriving at 20 years as two people who are in a long, slow freeze and you kind of don't know each other anymore and you're not even sure if you have anything in common anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So tragic and so frequent, so common. 
and I, I imagine that there are things in that book <clears throat> that specific areas of the parable where it covers making sure that you're not just slowly entering that freeze. Yes. Yeah. And there's actually a point. There's a, um, one of the things as a writer that you'll really appreciate, Matt, is that, and the, the writers listening is there's a, the parable in the front of the book, of course, first half is a parable between about a couple, Tom and Tess, and it takes them through the, each, each of them through the, through one day when Tom is going through a job interview, the most important interview of his life. And Tess is dealing with um, some some pretty uh, uh, daunting challenges in her life. And at one point in the middle of this interview, the, the, the older guy who's interviewing Tom suddenly starts telling this story. And it's, a, it's like a fairy tale. It's a, it, we call it the fable within the parable. And so there's this fable about a young man and a princess, uh, which is not exactly Spencer Johnson. It's more like I was reading Neil Gaiman at the time when I when I when I mm. started writing that. I kind of got my Neil Gaiman hat on, and it's, so there's this little fable inside the parable, and the fable takes this couple through their their first uh, five anniversaries, and at one point, uh, the the fable actually talks about how there was this long freeze through, all through the months of the spring. Instead of spring storms, the you know the the, the land froze and the trees withered and died and it's um, some marriages are like that. There's not fireworks. There's not, you know, any overt signs of aggression or hostility. Um, it's just a, a long, cold freeze. And that's the kind of marriage where people say, oh, we're fine. We're fine. There's this wonderful moment in uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral when the very wealthy friend, Hugh Grant's wealthy friend, is, is talking about how, you know, you don't have you shouldn't have to ex expect to be knocked off your feet by by somebody else they just you know find someone who can stand you and you can settle down and they're okay and he said that should be that should be that should be good enough i think it, it worked for my parents and after a pause he says well apart from the divorce and everything and uh, he says that my favorite line in the movie <laughs> yeah it worked out fine <laughs> until they got divorced Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, how long did it take you guys to actually, from when you first started writing it, to completion? Not that long. Three months? None the, yeah, none of the parables seemed to take that long. I think that I think the parable part was maybe three months in the writing and the, and the practice overlapped it and the practice maybe, you know, wrapped up in another month. So maybe call it a four months total. Okay. And we have a wonderful publisher. Um, who work with us, the great editors there. I love my editors um, for every book I've done. Mm. And this, these, this editorial team was fantastic and they helped us take it just that extra mile. Yeah, they tightened it for us. They helped us really tighten it down and that made it a much more brilliant book. And I, for all the writers that are listening, I wanna say don't ever, don't ever be afraid to listen to your editors because 95% of the time they are right on the money with what's wrong doesn't mean that their ideas for how to fix it are necessarily exactly right, but they do know if something's wrong. And there wasn't anything wrong. Um, in fact, I would say one of our most brilliant editors, we had two, um, actually helped us make a couple places in the back of the book a little more politically correct um, in terms of talking the about trauma and how we were phrasing things and stuff like yeah. that. So, you know, it was just a brilliant experience. And who, and who was your publisher? Let's give them credit. Publisher is, and this is interesting because the publisher for all the other Go-Giver books is Portfolio, which is an imprint within Penguin, now Penguin Random House. And Portfolio was a wonderful, wonderful publisher. When the Go-Giver was rejected 22 times, number 23, 
was Adrian Zakheim, uh, who created Portfolio, the publisher. And they've been, a, they've been and continue to be a fantastic home for the Go-Giver books, but they're a business imprint. And they read the manuscript and said, God, we love this. This is just brilliant. But our hands are kind of tied. This, this, we can't, there's no way to pigeonhole, to, to shoehorn this into our, our catalog. Um, so regretfully, they, they, you know, and we, we kind of knew that would be true. So we went with another um, small publisher named Ben Bella. And Ben Bella publishes maybe 40 books a year. They're, they're a very small focused publisher and they really emphasize partnership. And not just a, as a slogan or a catchphrase, but very true reality. So they've been phenomenal partners on at every level. We, we are, as we speak today, we are exactly one week from release of the book. So you know, everything we've done up to this point—editing, production, art, promotion—they've been phenomenal partners. And uh, we got a week to go. And then we'll all pop champagne corks. Well, and, and obviously, I'm sure you guys are going to ride high on that for a little while, right? When the book comes out, like the baby is here. You got things you've got to do. You got to show it off. You got to. Are you going to talk about postpartum depression? Is that where you're going? <laughs> well, maybe. I was going to ask after the, you know, the, the elation of this kind of wears, dies down a little bit. The book is out there. You, you, you've hit bestseller status, which I'm sure you will. What is next on your on your project list? Do you guys have any plans of working on another book together? Uh, I'm sure you're going to keep writing in some capacity, but anything plans to work together going forward? There's two answers to that. I'm going to give you the first. Anna will give you the second. Is it okay if I jump in, sweetheart, and say that? Mm -hmm. The first answer is <laughs> this book is um, we uh, is not just for us. It's not just a book. It's it's a whole new career, really. Um, we're, we've we've launched a series of uh, live workshops on Zoom. Uh, called Living the Five Secrets for people, you know, Zoom, so people from anywhere, really, um, even outside the solar system, probably. Uh, we're going to we're gonna release in the fall a coaches training program for go-giver marriage coaches. And um, so, you know, we're going to be as focused on this book a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, as we are today. So the first answer is, once the book is over, the book is not over. It's, uh, this is a career for us and a okay. calling for us. But in terms of further writing, Sweetheart, anything you want to say? We we actually, ha I, I don't want to say anything about content or what what the books yeah. look like, but we have a couple of different books um, that we want to we want to produce together. It, this has been such an incredible experience that we've realized that we have a. And the truth is, you know, I've been the first reader on thirty books, and I really, you know, I I wish that I had started earlier writing myself, but. At the same time, I love editing and I love working together on projects. And so I feel like um, there's there's more to come. Stay tuned. That's all I needed to know. I, I don't need any specifics. Yeah. We'll leave people in suspense, but at least we know there's more coming. There's more. There's more. Is there, I mean, this has been an amazing um, time with you both. Is there anything we didn't cover during our time together that you'd like to make sure the audience knows? Like, I'm sure the book's going to be available on Amazon for pre-order, but anything about you guys, um, how to work with you, if people want to take that extra step, where to find the book, social media, all that good stuff. Um, our social media handles are our full names. So my, I am at Anna Gabriel Mann and John is at John David Mann on Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, all the different formats, Facebook. Um, our, um, our website is just gogivermarriage.com. No the, just gogivermarriage.com. And all the information about our workshops, like you can actually sign up 
we, we do these workshops virtually every month uh, as Zoom events. So someone can just come to the, the website and look under programs and they can sign up for the, for the workshop right there. And they'll be given a link to get into the Zoom. They're interactive. You know, we do a, we teach for the first hour and then we do a really strong interactive second hour. And so they're very, very powerful. People love them. We've had great feedback so far. So that's something people can tune into. Um, and anything else, John, that I'm missing? Go ahead. Yes, yes. The gifts, the freebies. Oh, yes. So uh, we got a week to go until the book is released. And for this week, it's still time to pre-order the book. Uh, as you said, it's on Amazon, it's Barnes and Noble, it's everywhere, it's indie bound. It's, but if you go to our site and order the book, um, the order links just take you to the different retail sites. You know, we don't handle the books, but if you go and order through the links in our site and put your order number in, uh, in the space it provides, um, as a pre-order, we'll send you a handful of goodies. And, and the, the freebies that we made for this purpose include two, what we call uh, video mini master classes. Anna and I sat down on a living room couch and turned on a camera, turned on three cameras and, uh, and talked about, the first one is about the mindset of lasting love, which is about a half an hour. And the second is called dealing with conflict, which is about 40 minutes. And so you get those. And then the third thing is we're holding a fireside chat over Zoom, live fireside chat two weeks after the book comes out, which will be hosted by Dan Rockwell of the Leadership Freak blog. Um, and Dan is an early reader and big fan of the book and a wonderful, wonderful man. He will moderate us and take all your questions and uh, feed them to us and help us do our best to answer them all. And that's, uh, that's, that's going to be just for people who pre-order the book. And you can get that on our website. Fantastic. Um, so for everyone listening, definitely head over to gogivermarriage.com, pre-order your copy of the book. You do not want to miss out on all of those free goodies. Hopefully you'll pop in, take, uh, take John and Anna up on their offer for the, for the zoom, um, watch the masterclasses after you buy your book. Um, and it's never too late to work on yourself, whether it be business sales or your relationship. So we thank you all for tuning in. John and Anna, I want to thank you again for taking the time out to be here with our audience. Um, give them some behind the scenes and share your amazing wisdom with them. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much. Pleasure was mine.